Welcome to the podcast Unimagined, where current and former students share how they imagine education in schools could be regarding student leadership. We ask them to share about their experiences and offer advice on how we can all do better. When we clear the floor of the obstacles, imagine what they will In this episode, I speak with one of my former students, Brianna Miser, who I had in her junior year in AP Chemistry. We spoke in the spring of 2021 at the end of her senior year. Brianna talks about her double exceptional learning challenge. Like me, you probably did not really know what that term meant. She does an excellent job explaining it. I hope you enjoy this interview with Brianna. I know that I truly did. You identify as a person with neurodiversity. And for our listeners, I first would like if you would share means in general and then more specifically what it means for you. There's kind of two-ish two pathways. There's a bit of a spectrum, but essentially there's neurotypical and neurodiverse. And so neurotypical would be the average, like what you would expect someone to kind of be in, in the way they act and behave. Neurodivergent is when there's something there that is different from the normal. And it can be a combination of things, whether it's like a disorder like autism or it's just someone's brain just works differently. They think differently. It's just about the fact that your thought process and the way you live, it can't necessarily be the same as everyone else. And it makes a lot of things very difficult, especially since most of our institutions are really catered towards neurotypical individuals. So trying to be in something like the school system or like the traditional job market. Yeah, I can imagine when we structure different entities, we try and tailor towards the the mainstream. And so those of us on either ends of the spectrum struggle because it's not designed to benefit or support the challenges that we may have. We don't focus as much on the challenges that those who are at the higher end of the spectrum or have neurodiverse challenges, which can actually take you from being at the upper end intellectually to the lower end because it's the structure is not designed to allow you to to flourish. Well, I think that's a good segue into another term that I mentioned. I know you were going to ask about later, but another term that I used to identify myself is uh, double exceptional. And I think that that term really does a good job of encapsulating things. And so double exceptional is neurodivergent, but they're also very intelligent. So there's like this hyper-intelligence combined with struggles in other areas. Like for example, I would consider myself to be very academic and very academically intelligent, but I struggle a lot in like the social sense of trouble connecting with peers, reading on social cues, I often find motor issues. So I have just various different issues and i'm able to do something called masking which is something that a lot of people who are neurodivergent have had to learn to do from a young age trying to hide those things and emulate the norm which is easier to do 
if you are double exceptional, but it also makes it harder to get the treatment and the help you need if people don't even realize there's an issue. You know, on the surface, when I think of you, Brie, I think of you as super intelligent and academically driven. And I don't think of those other challenges that you mentioned because I've already made the assumption, well, you're academically stable, you know what you're doing, I don't need to worry that you need my help, when in reality, you need a different type of support and help from me that I may not be focusing on because I'm solely focused on academic success. I was in uh, elementary school, I actually struggled a lot, and it wasn't until middle school when the focus became more academic and less on developing social skills that I began to kind of flourish academically. And because of that, I was denied opportunities like enrichment and other advanced learning opportunities from a young age because there's no indication that I would benefit from them. I had trouble writing due to some fine motor issues. There's a lot of social emotional stuff going on at that age that I wasn't really well equipped to succeed at because of my differences and because I was very different from my peers. And then so that ended up delaying me academically as well because they were tied together. I can imagine as someone in your situation would struggle because we identify success in elementary school based on your ability to engage with your peers and not so much how you are intellectually. How did that impact your development academically. Yeah, I definitely had a lot of trouble. I didn't think I was smart when I was a kid. Like I said, I, I struggled to write and because um, the writing and drawing were very physically painful for me due to some um, fine motor skill issues. Which is why when I got to, to high school, I was thankfully able to type and that made a huge difference in my my quality of work. And so like, and I did well in math. My, my test scores were okay. They weren't stellar. And some of that had to do with being very young for my grade. Uh, I have an August birthday. So just developmentally, I was a little bit, not slower, but just on that younger end. And again, so much is focused on that emotional development, being younger made it hard. But yeah, it really wasn't until middle school when I started to kind of come into myself academically and be like, oh, wait, like I actually am doing well at this. Like I actually have one teacher in particular in middle school who really gave us a lot of very engaging and challenging material. And this helped me a lot because I was able to engage my classwork and in ways that I wasn't able to before. So in the typical classroom environment, we assess your competency or your understanding through a pen and paper test. And so when that was the assessment that you were faced with, you weren't able to share what you knew because it was in a format that you struggled with. So what you're saying is that this teacher allowed you to express your knowledge in a way that you yourself was able to communicate that that knowledge. And was that about the time when you realized that what your perception of what you knew and what was being portrayed to you as your success was actually not indicative of what you were capable of, of doing? So I guess there were two things with elementary school. So one was there's a large focus on like, the reading and the writing. And there's some math, like we had math classes, but we didn't really do any science. We didn't do, and I'm a very STEM-oriented thinker. And so not having that class and that 
entire subject really exposed to me made it difficult. And then there's testing. Um, so I I don't test particularly well. I know a lot of people who are neurodivergent who don't test well. It's a combination of like anxiety and time management and just memory and being able to recall things on an instant. It's just a very stressful and challenging thing. And so when your worth and like whether you get into enrichment is being determined by your test scores, it becomes very difficult in that regard. And also the, the grading system, I think, was part of it. So like in elementary school, we were graded like you got a check or a check plus or a check minus. And like, what does this mean? And so I didn't have any reference. But then in middle school, I started getting like, I got a 100 on this test or I got a 98 or I got in 89 i had a better frame of reference to be able to tell how i'm actually doing and i felt like that really helped build my confidence seeing like oh i can actually get good grades and not just check minus because my handwriting is terrible when did accommodations start being made for your fine motor skill struggles so in in elementary school my mom was like she's has problems with with her fine motor like there were issues that we knew about and we couldn't really afford to go somewhere to get the OT we needed. And we asked the school. They said that it wasn't affecting my schoolwork, so they couldn't do anything about it. It's frustrating because at that age, I could have actually gotten some help and relief. And, but when I got older and it got worse, there was not much that can be done. Because once you hit a certain age, it was very difficult. So I used to be dexterous, but when I was in kindergarten, I actually broke my left arm, which was my primary writing arm. And so I was forced to switch to my right. And so because of that, like, it was always very painful to write and draw. My handwriting was very bad. It was just a struggle. But because there were no grades, there was the checks or whatever, it didn't really, it wasn't like I was failing my class. So I did get a 504 plan in fourth grade, I believe. In elementary school, you and even in high school, you had to sign up to go to the bathroom. There was a sub once who would not let me leave to go to the bathroom. I had to go. I had medical reasons I had to go. They wouldn't let me leave. It was really bad. And so we were kind of like, yeah, you need a 504 plan. And so that was like the original reason. I had a hand signal. I could make this hand signal and I could go to the bathroom. As I kind of grew a bit older and my um, my medical history became more, it developed as I aged, the plan became more comprehensive. So it included having a fidget uh, for my anxiety and being able to help with that. And those are kind of the main things. It wasn't until seventh or eighth grade when the fine motor stuff got addressed. Because so in seventh grade, we were doing a, a poster for my science class. So it was like a lab safety poster. I worked really hard on this poster. It, it was the best drawing that I'd ever done in my life. I spent a lot of time and effort and it looked really great, I, I thought. I almost, I think I failed that assignment because I had coloring lines and then my, my drawing wasn't good enough. And so I failed this assignment, I was flabbergasted. But that was the kind of catalyst that was like, oh, it's actually affecting your schoolwork now. Maybe we can help you. My English teacher suggested that I could get a Chromebook to help with my typing and writing. And, and that made a huge difference in, in my quality of work and in my ability to be able to produce quality of work because I could then just focus on my work and not my ability or inability to write. I, I type very proficiently. I'm very skilled with technology. And so opposed to like spending the entire class writing just like a few things, I could take notes, I could write essays much more easily. And it just saw this real increase in the quality of my work and it helped in high school tremendously. I don't think I would have been able to get through my advanced classes without that accommodation. I'm curious about the pain that you experienced and how that didn't seem to be enough 
to warrant some sort of support, but it's probably not as important. Yeah, I, I don't really know why the school didn't feel like that was worthy of the support. We tried to get what we needed for just whatever reason. I think a lot of that struggle comes back to the double exceptional piece because I found that when you're able to mask the things that are wrong and the things that are causing you pain and struggle because you have to to fit in and to meet the mold of the standard education system, then people think you're crying wolf when you say you need accommodations. I think that's a really key piece of information, the masking piece. And I think many students are masking something and some are really, really good at it and some are not. And I think the implication of being able to mask so that you can fit in or be successful based on somebody else's measurement impacts your ability to be successful and accomplish the things that you could be able to do under the right circumstances. So I think that you make a really good point there about the masking and the double exceptional. I was really unsure what that word meant and what that term meant, but I think that you really coined it perfectly. You're exceptional in terms of your intellect, but you're also exceptional in terms of having some challenges that make it hard for you to demonstrate your intellect under the certain constraints of that that typical structure of a classroom setting. Tell me a little bit more about what it means to be intelligent and and have these struggles, but know that you belong in advanced classes. I took all honors or APs, like essentially whenever I had that option. I remember in middle school, I wasn't sure if I should go into honors humanities. We had to get our, our teachers to sign off on our, our work and base, our, our course selection. My teacher were basically like, yeah, we're not going to sign off if you don't have all honors because they felt that I'd be selling myself short if I did that, which I appreciate the faith in me, but it, it, it definitely was challenging because when you think of an advanced class you think of students who are like who are very disciplined who are like doing their homework who are not fidgeting in class who are not struggling who can just kind of sit there take notes behave and I can do that it's not like I misbehaved or anything but I sometimes had trouble sitting still and I needed like to fidget and for some people that's a distraction whereas for me it's coping mechanism to deal with anxiety or the fact that like I needed to type on a computer I sometimes kind of felt silly and I know I get a lot of looks because people are like well why don't I get to type why don't I have that and there was like some some stigma around that I feel like there's something weird like there's something not right about me because I'm in the same class with these same people my learning is different than them. I am lucky in a lot of regards that it didn't have really substantial impact on my ability to take these classes, I don't think. I started getting some migraines, which, um, and like noise sensitivity would cause issues. The people were kind of chatting in class. Sometimes I would just like kind of blank out because there's just like all this noise and kind of assaulting my head. And I would just like get really overwhelmed. And then also towards the end of my junior year, I started developing panic attacks. And I, and I ended up missing a lot of school my junior year. And I think that that was very challenging for me. But I'm a very anxious person. And I was getting so anxious. I was like, I'm missing a day of school. I have 
eight advanced classes today or I have four advanced classes. Like my junior year, I was taking nine classes and we only had eight blocks in the day. Like I was taking several classes outside of school and there was just this constant fear of falling behind, of missing one day, of being in a perpetual state of getting caught up. And then that anxiety just, it kind of fed into itself. And the expectations of the AP and, and these difficult classes were a lot at times, especially during robotic season, which is a huge, huge time commitment. You are capable of taking all of those classes intellectually, but putting them all together with some of the medical issues, it made it debilitating and you almost might not have been successful or maybe you weren't successful in some areas because there was so much to do and you couldn't you couldn't take care of yourself because you had too much fear that if you took time to take care of yourself, it was only going to cause more of a problem because you would be missing so much work. How did you navigate that? So I've been fully remote this year. It's been terrible. I've had a lot of issues. My migraines have gotten worse because of all the screen time. I haven't been able to ask the questions I need or interact with the teachers in the way that I need to to succeed. I've missed labs. I feel like in this perpetual state of falling behind even more so. But the one benefit and something that I would love to see continued is the option for four remote classes. Because essentially, if I was sick, and I could lie in bed and listen to my teachers talk and give the classes and make sure I got all the information I needed, even if I couldn't have been there in person. I can still do the work. I'm still capable of doing the work. And the thought falling behind makes me more sick and more anxious than, than trying to push through. I would like to see that in the future, there being just like an option. But I guess a lot of my medical stuff really became more of an issue my junior year, which is also when I was taking a lot of AP classes, because that's the first year we're allowed to take AP classes. And then COVID hit in the middle of that, which made it like 10 times worse. So I, I don't really... I haven't really figured out how to deal with these medical things during a normal year yet because I haven't had to in some ways, but I've had a lot of other challenges. Honestly, I think what you're speaking about is making it more accessible for everyone depending on their needs. I'm thinking back to how having your Chromebook with you in class made you feel like you were different and people were wondering why you got that available to you and, and how in high school and middle school, so much stigma is placed around being the same, right? So you were not the same. And then you had this Chromebook, which only accentuated the fact that you were different. Instead of celebrating it, you felt it, it was a negative feeling instead of a positive feeling. But I do think you're hitting something about having class accessible at home because even as a teacher, like there are some times where I don't want to come in and cough on everybody, but I'm not sick enough that I can't do a lesson. So couldn't I do it from home instead and not contaminate everybody with whatever I had, but still be able to deliver the instruction that my students deserve? I want to ask you about the advanced classes and the AP classes. I'm 
thinking of my own AP class of chemistry and thinking about there was so much assessment that was pen and paper and and testing particularly, what might be some examples that you could share for educators who are listening on how we might engage our neurodivergent students in a way that allows you to feel more successful? It's really hard because even if you're neurotypical, there's different. There are people who just don't test well, even if they're neurotypical. There are people who maybe do really well at tests. Um, There are people who maybe don't have good study skills. And so, and maybe there are people who struggle in class, don't learn any material, and then they feel they have to cram the night before just to pass the test. And so there's just a lot of different things going on there. And it's, it's really hard to find any sort of system which sets everyone up for success. Eternal struggle, I feel like, of education. Because everyone has different learning styles and different needs, I would personally advocate abolish the education system and just completely rebuild it from the ground up. Because I, I do think in some ways it's that broken. The current education system is a product of an era where you were trying to prepare people for the assembly line life. Get to work on time, sit in rows of desks, doing the same work as everyone else. You're going to be moving back and forth at the the kick of a bell. It was dehumanizing and automation kind of went away with that work environment, but it's still seeping into our education system. It is a very broken system. But as for more reasonable things that can be done within the confines of our current system, I think just tests in general aren't the best. I think that they have uses, but especially in something like math or science, where these problems are complicated and they have a lot of steps and you're trying to go through all of the steps, but you are like, wait, I messed up this step and now the rest of the problem's all messed up. So they got the wrong answer, even if they knew the process. And a lot of teachers are very good about grading the process, not the answer, which I appreciate. But, and the other thing about tests that are annoying and frustrating, but what I would like to see is more real world examples. I totally agree. I would rather teach you the ability to know what resources to use and when so that you can be efficient and get the thing that you need rather quickly so that you can move on to the next task. Once the concept's enforced and they know the mechanism, it doesn't make sense harping away at that same thing when there are much quicker and easier ways to do it and that leave you open for other more important skills you can learn. So I wanted to thank you for taking the VIA character survey. Your qualities did not surprise me. How did you feel when you saw your character qualities? I was a little bit surprised that kindness was above love of learning. Um, It makes me happy to know that kindness came out so high for you because I think one of the things that your peers probably struggle with is your difficulty with social interactions. And for me, I saw your kindness and I'm hopeful that many of your peers saw, even though you may have struggled with communicating completely the way that they would understand, it was always kind coming from a place of kindness and curiosity for information. And so I thought it was very interesting to me to see those two ranked as your top one and two. Could you give some advice to to other students maybe who identify similarly to you and maybe give some advice to students who don't? For other students, I think the biggest 
thing is the thing that I really had going for me was being able to advocate for myself and, and just knowing what was wrong. And that's something that I, even now I don't fully know everything that's wrong. And I've been working really hard to try and go the, get the diagnoses I need and get the accommodations in writing I need. But being able to advocate for yourself and say, like, look, I am having a lot of trouble right now. I need to take a walk or I can't make it to class. Can you give me my makeup work before the teachers have to even chase you down for it? Just say, like, I'm going to miss class. Can I have my makeup work? One of the things that I found really saddened me is there's some statistics um, about the death toll among neurodivergent individuals with COVID. And neurodivergent individuals were among the higher end of that death toll. And part of the reason that scientists were saying was that, especially for adults, because they weren't able to have friends and family with them in the ER or the doctor's room, a lot of them weren't able to advocate for themselves or they weren't necessarily taken seriously because of the stigmas against these groups. And so without a family member saying, hey, this person has this disorder that needs to be taken account into the, when they're being treated, there's this tendency to kind of shy away from authority figures or this fear of being ridiculed for what you have. And it, it led to a lot of people dying which I find to be really upsetting. And for people who aren't neurodivergent, it's really important that you don't judge people and that you have an open mind. And I'm a little bit guilty of this myself. And part of it is instead of being like, hey, like you're being annoying, stop, maybe be like, are you uncomfortable? Uh, are you anxious? Is there anything I can help do to help um, you feel more comfortable? So being more aware of what these triggers actually mean and then once you're aware of it, trying to be more accommodating. I think the other thing too is recognizing this with communication, those things aren't always meant to be harmful, even if they come across that way. And just trying to be understanding. And I know it's hard. I, trust me. I think those are really valid suggestions and advice because I do think not prejudging the reason why you're doing something as being mean but maybe taking a step back and saying, is there is there anything that I can do to help you? Seems like you're struggling right now. Is there anything that you need from me? Goes a lot further than I think the word that you were looking for is having some empathy that not everybody functions the same way. And especially when you're neurodivergent, there are a lot more things that can cause you anxiety and cause you stress in a classroom that is set up and designed for a neurotypical student. How did you navigate social interactions in that environment? I think somewhat poorly at first. I've been around the first robotics competition for many years. I had been to the world championship with my sister and her team the year before. And in some ways, I let that experience get to my head a bit. I thought I knew it was best. I had trouble realizing the way other people saw me. I saw myself as someone who's been doing robotics for a very long time and who's very passionate about the subject and I knew a lot of the history. And other people saw me as a random freshman who thinks she knows what's best. And that definitely creates some tension. Our competition season was canceled a, a few days before our first event. So I never actually got to compete with my new team. That was really hard. on, And that still is hard on me. It's something that is never going to leave me. Yeah, and I think you alluded to earlier that COVID in of itself was a challenge for you. Also, it isolated you more than you probably would have liked it to isolate you. Will you be able to do robotics in college where you're going? 
So I'm going to be majoring in robotics engineering. The competitive robotics scene is a bit weird. It's primarily directed for like primary, like K through 12. The goal of it is to inspire people to pursue STEM fields in college. Once you're in college, there's less incentive to cater towards you because you've already chosen that path. Yeah, and it seems almost like we made a ton of accommodations for athletics. How we choose to make accommodations for the things that are very typical. Seeing like six or seven pages worth of sports in the yearbook this year really hurt. And especially after in 2019, the year that our team made it to world, they completely left us out of the yearbook, despite having the best season in our team's history. It hurt a lot. And I know that canceling the season was the responsible thing to do and i know that after our season had gotten canceled i had talked to administration about hosting a scrimmage with some local teams but obviously the covid situation didn't really allow that to happen i really want to thank you for your time this evening um i enjoyed this conversation i learned a lot and i hopefully will be able to educate many more out there by just hearing your story listening to some of the challenges that you faced thank you i really appreciate it What I really liked about my conversation with Brianna was her ideas and thoughts about why schools were designed the way they were, with the bells sitting in rows, and her push for thinking outside the box. I also really appreciated her ideas and takeaways that she found to be really useful from COVID and the lessons we may or may not have learned from teaching in a remote way. If we free the door of our lives, imagine what they could do. Imagine what they will do